when he was transformed. And the encounter was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, you'll see that as we read through the passages. Saul started as a Jewish zealot. He was very zealous. He wasn't a political zealot, or maybe he was, but he was definitely a religious zealot. He was full of zeal, and he wanted to to do what he believed in, whatever the cost. It starts, we start to hear about him. We're coming to chapter 9 in a second, but just want to read a couple of verses from chapter 8, verse 1. It says, it's just after the stoning of Stephen, where Stephen was martyred. And it says, chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul didn't throw stones at Stephen himself, but he approved of the crowd killing him. And then it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church. In Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Now remember, the church was never a building, it was people. He began to destroy people. And the Greek word translated destroy here means ravage like a wild animal. Like a wild animal tears apart its prey. That's what Saul began to do to the people who made up the church of Jesus Christ. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Have you ever been in a prison? I don't mean have you ever been locked up, but <laughs> have you ever visited anybody in prison perhaps? I've been to quite a few prisons. This last week, Nora and I were with some friends uh, driving over Dartmoor. We were quite close to Dartmoor Prison. In the past, I've been to Dartmoor Prison when, when I was a Gideon. We took Gideon Bibles in there and, and, and sat and talked to some of the inmates. It's a terrible place. Thankfully, it's a secure place. <laughs> it's got wire netting everywhere to stop the prisoners getting out. And it, although it didn't, doesn't over the years, it hasn't stopped every prisoner getting out. It's got CCTV cameras. But the thing which I hated most of all was the clanging of the door, the gate behind me as I went through. And it went all the way along. There are doors and gates everywhere. And long, big keys, and you can hear the keys turning in the locks. And you begin to wonder, will I ever get out of this place? Are they going to remember that I'm just visiting? <laughs> Terrible. And that's what he did, Saul of Tarsus. He locked men and women in prison. Why? Because they didn't believe the same as Saul of Tarsus did. But then I go on to chapter 9, which is our passage for today. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I mean, this was real murder he was interested in. Not just threats, because he followed through on them. Many people died as a result of him. 
against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, remember Jesus said, I am the way. The truth and the life. I am the way. And so his first followers, some people called them followers of the way. Others called them disciples. They weren't called Christians until much later in Antioch. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. In a sense, I was thinking this week, what he was asking the high priests for were what they call in this country a European arrest warrant. Where you can get somebody arrested in another country, but still in the European Union, and have them brought back here for trial. That's what he was interested in. He did go all over Israel, arresting people from the synagogues, but but he was interested in going further. And we'll see that in a minute. Verses, uh, let me see. Chapter 22. You don't have to turn to it because I'm going to read it, but if you want to, it's uh, 1102 in the church Bible. Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Tarsus was a Greek city, but he was brought up in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the leading Pharisees, brilliant man, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Because he was a Pharisee. Saul was a Pharisee. In fact, in chapter 23, verse 6, it says, Paul is talking to others, and he says, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. My dad was a Pharisee. Maybe his granddad was a Pharisee as well. And the Pharisees were experts in the law, in the Old Testament, law of Moses. They loved the temple worship. They memorized much of the Old Testament. The Pharisees trained for 10 years before they could be a a Pharisee. And much of it was memorizing the Old Testament scriptures. If only we knew the New Testament scriptures the way this godless man knew the Old Testament. What a different place it would be. So he was trained by the best teacher in Jerusalem. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. He was zealous for God. That's what he believed. He believed he was doing the will of God. I persecuted the followers of this way, what we call Christianity, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus. Where's Damascus? Syria, yeah. It's still there today. What's happening in Syria today? (laughs) War, terrorism, persecution, 
persecution of Christians? Saul was going there, even in his day. He went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. A few pages further on, chapter 26. I'm doing this because it's, the, it's covering the same ground. It's the same story. In chapter 9, it's the narrative of when it happened. Chapter 22, Saul was talking about his conversion. And he spoke of it. And in chapter 26, he was as well. Chapter 26, verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was in opposition to God. He was in opposition to Jesus of Nazareth. He was convinced that's what he should do. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. And on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Some people speculate as to whether he was in fact a member of the Sanhedrin then. Uh, I don't know whether that was the vote that he was talking about or whether he just meant that, that he was supportive. They were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. What a thing to do. The Old Testament, God's law in the Old Testament is all about integrity and justice. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Come back to, uh, well, actually, I'll go forward to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. This is uh, page 1124 in the church Bible. He tells us a little something more about his life. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Remember, his training started before he was 13. When he was 13, he would have had his bar mitzvah service. He had to know quite a bit about the Old Testament by then. And he had to stand up in the synagogue and quote it by memory. He had to be able to read it from the scriptures as well. But he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous Started off saying he was zealous. Now he's extremely zealous. But it doesn't say for God this time. It says for the traditions of my fathers. The Pharisees were strong on traditions. He was very religious, as you've gathered from those passages. 
He knew the scriptures, but he didn't know God's plan of salvation. He knew the scriptures and he memorized the scriptures, but he didn't know what they meant. He didn't understand God's plan. I always like to think of him as a Christmas tree. You think, well, that's a funny thing to think of Saul of Tarsus as, but a Christmas tree with colored lights all over it, but not illuminated. He had all the colored lights. He had all the knowledge of the Old Testament and the traditions of the elders and and of his fathers, the, the Pharisees, but nothing was switched on. Nothing was actually connected to God. It was all tradition. It was all empty. No power. But that was to change. He was to be transformed. But to be transformed, he had to meet somebody. As I said just now, Jesus of Nazareth. So verse three, verses 3 to 9 of chapter 9 in the book of Acts, verses 3 to 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Saul realized already he was out of his depth. He called him Lord. (laughs) He didn't know him as Lord, but he was realizing this was a powerful being that was talking to him from heaven. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city. Because he was on the floor at this point. And the other guys with him. We'll see that in a minute. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, have you, have you ever gone three days without eating anything? I have. It's easy. Well, for, for, for many people it's easy anyway. But have you ever gone three days without drinking anything? I mean, they mostly drank water in, in those days. In, in a climate in the Middle East which is intensely hot, and oppressive. People can die through not having water to drink for three days. So you can imagine where he was. He was on the top of the world before. He was the darling of the chief priests in Jerusalem. They gave him these international arrest warrants and off he went to Damascus to arrest people and bring them back. And suddenly, I presume he was on a horse, maybe not, I can't imagine him walking all the way to Damascus. I mean, it it was a week's journey. Suddenly he was on the ground with everybody else. And a voice was speaking to him from heaven. And that voice proclaimed his ID. He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. If somebody comes to our door, 
We always ask for their ID, don't we? Well, don't we? <laughs> I do. If somebody knocks on my door and says, I've come to read your meter, I want to see his ID. That's my trading standards training in past years. I don't accept what anybody says. He may be coming to case my house and come back later and, and, and break in. I want to see an ID. If somebody comes and says, in civilian clothing, and says, um, I'm, a, I'm from the police. Where's your ID? And although Saul didn't ask Jesus for his ID, Jesus gave it. Jesus said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus. And you're persecuting me. When the world persecutes Christians, they persecute Jesus of Nazareth. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a dangerous thing to do. We'll be hearing more about that from Roger later on. He went to Damascus to arrest followers of the way and Jesus of Nazareth arrested him. Stopped him in his tracks. And he fell to the ground and was blinded. Now if I go back to chapter 22 again, Acts 22. Pick up the same story. But there are a few extras we told. At about noon, so this was the hottest time of the day. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. Remember what he said in Acts? He said, I am Jesus. What does he say now? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said. And go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. We've all been assigned to do things, you know. And to meet people. Not in the same way perhaps that Paul, Paul was. We can't all be apostles. But we have been assigned tasks as believers My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. We're told how he was blinded here. And then over to chapter 26. Again, pick up the same story. Verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, that's who he was talking to. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. See how the story becomes clearer. Things are getting into focus. He was blinded. He was blinded by the sun, the brightness of the sun. This was brighter than the sun. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing all around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground 
And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads were used to goad the animals to make them move if they were being lazy. They had spikes on them. They weren't very pleasant. And this experience wasn't very pleasant for Saul of Tarsus. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. Not as colonel-in-chief or general. As a servant. I've appointed you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Galatians, again, just a couple of verses. Galatians chapter 1, from verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles... My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, possibly to Sinai. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So it doesn't say that he was in Arabia for three years, but three years passed from the time that he met Jesus of Nazareth here on the Damascus Road to the time that he went up and met the other apostles in Jerusalem. Back to chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. Ananias, you see, started talking back to God. God said to Ananias, I want you to go and see this chap here. <laughs> He's from Jerusalem. And Ananias said, Oh, I know who that is. I don't want to go and see him. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. That's what you are, if you're a believer. A chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. That's the first time that appears in Acts. It's all been to reach Jews up until this point. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now what I like to think of him as, Ananias does go there, of course, and lays hands on him. 
I skipped over that bit for the sake of time. He was baptized. He was now a believer. Before, he was an unbeliever. Then he was transformed by meeting Jesus of Nazareth. And now, he's a believer. He's the best man imaginable. Thinking of the New Testament, there are a lot of good men in the New Testament. Peter and James and John and all of those. But Paul ranks up there with them all. He started as a despicable character and he ends up being an apostle. A godly man who dedicated his entire life to reaching Gentiles like you and me. And that's when he was... When he was there in Arabia, things were going through his mind. He was perhaps regurgitating the Old Testament passages that he knew and the Holy Spirit was teaching him what they meant. And the lights began to go on on this Christmas tree of Saul of Tarsus. Until you imagine what a Christmas tree is like at Christmas. All those beautiful colored lights. That's what he was like now. It couldn't happen before. But now that he'd been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, now he understood the plan of God. And much of the New Testament after this is him writing, explaining how it's done. The epistles of Paul are amazing. He wrote almost all the theological epistles explaining our faith. Because God had plugged him into his power. I think it was probably, it doesn't say, but I think it was probably at this time while he was in Arabia before going back to Jerusalem that God, by revelation, explained to him the things that later he wrote about and said, God, God revealed this to me. I received this by revelation. I just want to give two examples quickly from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, page 1174 in the church Bible. He says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. He didn't know that in the Old Testament. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. He didn't learn that in the Old Testament. In Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God has been so kind to you and me, forgiving our sins, filling us with the Holy Spirit because Of Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says. For it is by grace. You have been saved. And now he completes it now. Through faith. By grace you have been saved. Through faith. Grace means undeserved favor. We don't deserve. To be forgiven our sins. God. Did it because. He sees us in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what the Lord Jesus has done. This is not from yourselves. He says it's the gift of God. 
Then in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. There aren't many people that God gives revelation to like that. As I have already written briefly, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I got it from God, he said. That's why I understand it. And that's why I'm writing to tell you about it. Which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. They didn't know before. But now we know, he said. I and my other apostles know because God has revealed this by revelation. This mystery is, and here it is, that through the gospel, the Gentiles, you and I, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. There's a lot more. I could go on reading a lot more what he writes here about the revelations God gave him, but there's no time. You need to go home and read it yourself. I want to finish with just a word of personal testimony to say I've had the same experience as, as Saul of Tarsus did there. Now, not in the same miraculous way. I didn't hear any booming voices from heaven because we don't need to these days. We got this. Paul tells us all about it. Peter tells us all about it. James tells us all about it. John tells us all about it. They were all witnesses. Eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what an apostle was. I was an unbeliever. Brought up in an unbelieving family. Well, nominally they believed in God, but it meant nothing to them. I was an atheist especially at school because I was so keen on science. And in those days, I believed what my teachers told me, you know, and I don't anymore. I was ignorant of God's plan, just as Saul of Tarsus was. And then, guess who came on the scene? The Gideons International. <laughs> I was 11 years old. And this... This very one was put into my hands in 1956. And I took it home and I began to read it. Where did I start? Well, page one, of course. Matthew's Gospel, chapter one. Do you remember it? When's the last time you read Matthew chapter one? I wonder. Not many people read Matthew chapter one because there's so many long names in it and they're so difficult to pronounce that people go to chapter two. Well, I did struggle to read them, and it was King James Version, not New International, so it was a struggle. But I, I went through, and I began to go through. And in fact, I went through until I got to Acts, and not on the same day, of course. You know, I was working through day by day. I got to the book of Acts and saw Saul and saw what happened when he was converted and how his life changed and that was when I closed the little test and put it on, on the bedside table. Didn't open it for a few years. 
But this set, set me going. Jesus. I knew the name of Jesus. The second thing that happened was that I met Nora, my wife. And she was a Christian. And she immediately, the very first time we met, she immediately started to talk to me about Jesus and telling me that she was a Christian. And she introduced me to her church. And her mother bought me a Bible. And uh, still in the King James Version, I struggled with. But I began to understand. And eventually, I realized that this this Matthew chapter 1, which was just a list of names and meant nothing to me, now it's so rich. It's wonderful. Each of those names is a person. A person who had a relationship with God and believed in God. And the Holy, when I came to faith, the Holy Spirit came into my life and began to teach me, leading me into all truth. And I realized that the Lord Jesus... Is king of Israel. That's what it says. It's, it's showing the, uh, the descendants, the ancestors. Showing that Jesus was descended from King David, Israel's greatest king. So I started with unbelieving, an atheist, and I ended with being a believer and the thing that changed me and transformed my life was meeting Jesus of Nazareth. So when in the scriptures, meeting Jesus of Nazareth in the scriptures and learning who, who he is. So have you met Jesus of Nazareth? When you've read the scriptures, do you believe in him the way Saul did, the way I did? Are you trusting in him for the future? Because there is no future other than him. It doesn't matter who you are. I watched a few minutes of the, of the royal wedding yesterday and there's our queen. She's been a wonderful woman over the years but she's looking a bit worse for wear now. And so is the Duke of Edinburgh. They don't last forever. God does. Jesus Christ lasts forever. And we can as well. Do you believe in him in that way? I hope so. If not, speak to somebody here. Get somebody to pray with you. I pray. Thanks, Chris.